With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nation podcast, HawkeyeNation.com. Andrew Downs and Rob Howe with you once again. We are here on a Friday uh, to talk about the results of the investigation into the Iowa football program. Uh, Yesterday morning, we got a 28-page summary of the Hush Blackwell investigation into allegations of racism within the Iowa football program. And then yesterday afternoon, uh, Gary Barta and Kirk Ferentz had a press conference where we're going to limit this podcast scope uh, to this report and uh, and the press conference and and kind of the everything surrounding it. We'll be back on Monday to talk about Luca Garza and COVID and uh, some football stuff and, and kind of see where we're at with all of that but uh today we're just going to limit it rob to uh to, to this report but first off how you doing man uh good to talk to you again you too andrew i'm doing well i hope you are as well um yeah we're almost to august we almost <laughs> made it to august man Jeez. last month of july and it's been an unforgiving year <laughs> yes yes it has um so i guess i'll start i'll start with this you know uh i, I read your column at hawkeyenation.com and I, I urge people to do that i think you hit the nail on the head essentially saying hey this this is nothing to uh to be proud about or happy about as, as a hawkeye fan this report coming out yesterday i feel like some people um maybe had that reaction because there wasn't anything anything huge that was new that came out of this report there wasn't some smoking gun uh, there aren't any more personnel changes so you could see how some Hawkeye fans may look at that and say hey this is best case scenario for what this this report ended up being uh, but it's important to remember kind of the the perspective or keep it in perspective because Rob had we not had eight weeks of talking about this and players coming out and dealing with this reading that 28 page report with everything in there back to back I mean even with the eight weeks of preparation for this it's so damning to just read it all in an official report like back to back like that all put together um I think it was eased a little bit, like I said, because of eight weeks of uh, we've known a lot of this was happening and we've seen some of the changes uh, being made, but certainly not a good day yesterday uh, by any means for the Iowa football program. No, I agree, Andrew, and it's not, you know, I think maybe for some folks the natural tendency is that, hey, You know, I've become desensitized to some of these claims based on what I already know. And, you know, from the diversity task force report that was in 2000, you know, released in 2019 to the players coming out last month. This is old news. I've already read this before. 
But to me, it doesn't make it any less disturbing. And it's another confirmation, a 28-page confirmation, that there were there were and still remain race, there's racial bias in the Iowa football program. Yeah, they they're doing things to change that, but it's not going to happen overnight. So, and if you read the diversity task force report, some of those views by by members of the coaching staff and the you know the administration really disturbing stereotypical views of um blacks and that's not something those aren't views that you're just going to snap a finger and change and this was just to me another you know another layer another confirmation further confirmation that Black players in the Iowa football program were treated unfairly. And I don't think anybody should feel good about that. And I think everybody should do whatever they can to fix that. Um, And that's fans. That's, I mean, you know, from the fans that lashed out at some of these players last month Mm -hmm. uh, on social media when they were telling their stories. Um, And that's not to say that every story was 100% truth and accuracy but you had 60 players coming out and then you have you know a diversity task force report and this report from hush blackwell there's not a lot of there's not a lot of doubt here that this was bad this this is a bad bad situation and it's not just going to change overnight you're not just going to move on this is a you know this is a a uh, an image that is now part of Iowa football from people on the outside, from recruits that are going to look at this program. You may think that, you know, it's everybody's moved on. I think we should move on and let these players in, in, this, in the football program now help grow this. The former players on the advisory board help growth here. Um, but I know it's not a story that people want to see and hear and acknowledge, but it needs to be. And I think that was the point uh, I was trying to make in my, my column. There's no there's no victory lap here. This was just more confirmation that some bad, bad stuff happened in the Iowa football program. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and even if a decade from now we look back and there was serious change and, and things, you know, everything went as well as you could hope from here moving forward, there is no victory lap. It's, this is an embarrassment. This is a stain on this program. It is, and it always will be. Uh, this happened, and as you said, it's and it's inexcusable. It's serious. It's systemic, and it's not going to change overnight. One of the things I was really glad to hear uh, both Gary Barta and Kirk Ferentz say yesterday is, "This is not the end. This is the beginning." And, and I think what you just said uh, hits the nail as well in that. Uh, maybe, maybe the best part of this coming out yesterday and, and now that we kind of have this information, uh, have this report, uh, maybe now we can shut the door on the initial stage of this and move forward. And as you said, let the program kind of uh, heal itself and, and do, take take it upon itself to do what it needs to do. Uh, I am glad that this kind of initial stage uh, is uh, seems to be ending at least. I mean, you know, other things could come out or things could happen, but it, it certainly seems to me, Rob, like this was a, a detailed and and uh, a rigorous investigation. Uh, it seems like they, they talked to, w- without knowing exactly who they talked to, it certainly seems like they talked to most of the people you would hope they would. Um, 
And, and as you said, it's this isn't an overnight fix, and it's not something that that's going to change right away. But hopefully, uh, hopefully they are. This, these aren't just words that are being said by Kirk Ferentz and Gary Barta. Uh, hopefully, there are actual changes uh, coming, and we're going to get into a lot of that uh, in our conversation here. Uh, did anything in that report surprise you yesterday when you read it? Um, I don't know about surprise. Surprise. I think there are parts that stood out and I think everybody kind of has that's a natural tendency for people to read over and say, wow, that's, you know, that's either, you know, further confirmation of what we already had heard or, um, you know, just maybe something that you didn't realize before when, you you know, you looked at this story. Uh, interesting thing for me, Andrew, was who they chose to interview. Uh, it seemed like they gave um, they being Hush Blackwell. Uh, reached out and allowed any current players to speak out. I think they said they contacted everybody on the current team, and I thought that was great. Let them, you know, let them uh, offer feedback on what the environment is now. Um, you know how how things have changed in the last couple months. What can change further? Try to get its feedback back in that regard uh, I think they interviewed 29 former players um, and there was upwards of 60 that had stories so they interviewed maybe half of that group um, it didn't indicate whether they gave all of those guys a chance to tell their stories or offer feedback that stood out to me a little bit not that I was surprised I, I, I would you know, I thought the number would be higher than that. It seemed like they they interviewed more current and former staff members mm -hmm. than they did former players, which was where, you know, the basis of this came from. It wasn't guys that were in the building now. It was got they were got they were former student athletes that really got this change started. So that was a little interesting to me. And then I wasn't necessarily surprised that about this because I had heard that this was the way this was going to break down. Um, but I still think the way this was conducted, where you have the 28-page report that reviewed and confirmed a lot of the charges we already knew about, there were they looked into individual coaches and we still don't know what they found there. And they submitted individual reports on four coaches – um, my best guess on that, I do not have any um, confirmation that it would be Kirkin, Brian Ferentz, Chris Doyle, and Seth Wallace, mm -hmm. because Gary had mentioned that it, you know, they looked, they did those reports on coaches who were specifically named in allegations, and those four coaches were specifically named in allegations. Um, I just, I, you know, I think I've heard this from other people, um, and it's a question I have. What, what, you know, what was said in those reports? What, because what we heard from, um, you know, publicly from from some players, there were people that had real problems with Brian Ferentz. What did his report say? Do, I, I guess we're just we're not going to know that. Um, so we're kind of left to leave it to Kirk Ferentz and Gary Barta to make sure what was ever in that report 
wasn't damning enough and that they still believe that Brian can do his job. They felt like Chris Doyle couldn't still do his job, but they feel like Brian Ferentz can do his job. And we really have no way to check that because we can't see the report. Yeah, you know, and that, that is, Kirk essentially said that, right? That, you know, he didn't think Chris Doyle could stand in front of the team and be an effective coach. And uh, I don't know if he ever actually said this, but it certainly implies that the rest of the guys he still feels can stand in front of the team and be an effective coach. The, I was disappointed by that uh, overall, Rob, that just not knowing exactly. And I don't need to know every detail. I, I don't need to know everything. But I would like to know uh, how damning these these things were to these coaches and then what the punishment is going to be, if any. Because uh, I guess, you know, short of week one actually happening and Brian Ferentz not being on the field and us then knowing, okay, well, he got suspended for a game or, or whatever the case may be, I'm not sure we'll ever know. Um and and that that's a little that's that's troublesome to me uh, on a, on a couple levels. One just because of the uh, the nature of, of these allegations, but also the the nepotism bit of it. And um, and so yeah, it's that that's disconcerting a little bit to me. Um, overall, and I, I haven't dealt with these things as as much as you have, and uh, so I'm just trying to get your opinion on this. Are, are you overall satisfied? This is something we've talked about a lot leading up to this this actual report coming out. Are you satisfied? with the transparency of this report, or I guess Iowa's transparency as it pertains to this investigation and, and this report we got yesterday. Yeah, satisfied for me. Um, kind of like I wrote about last week, I, I feel like I'm, I'm kind of deferring to players here, to former and current players, about you know what they feel is best for this program and if Kirk and these coaches can do their jobs. Um but having said that, going back to my, my previous comments, I would like to know what I mean, I understand legally, and that's why they put that's why they put the this report together the way they did. They, you know, I UI general counsel was involved in this, and they when they um you know, hired Hush Blackwell to do this investigation, they can tell them this is the way we would like it done. And they basically took those personnel reports and legally made those so they don't have to release them. And so that's going to leave questions. That's not full transparency. Um, now there may be, it may be, he said, he said in all of those personnel reports, nothing was proven, um, you know, it, it, what, you know, there were, there was no, as you said earlier, no smoking gun against Brian. He denied everything that was charged against him. We don't know because we can't see it. So I'm not saying he's guilty of anything, but we just don't know. And that's, you know, I'll read the last paragraph of page six of this report, Andrew, Finally, one former player said the culture is one where it is acceptable to demean people due to disability or race. Those are two. Those were two. And this is me um, pausing here to, to point out that those were two charges that were made against Brian and Seth Wallace. Yeah. Uh, continuing with it, according to several players, issues with the culture were, quote, not just a Chris Doyle problem. End quote. Those players said the cultural problems are systemic and cannot be fixed simply by getting rid of one coach. Several former players commented that Chris Doyle or that Coach Doyle should not be a quote 
scapegoat, unquote, for the system systemic issues in the program. So when I read that paragraph, Andrew, and then I don't know what those per, what what the individual investigations into the coaches showed, it leaves me wondering what what's in there. If there's nothing that is damning in there, then release it. That's the question. I mean, I think it's natural to to wonder if that's the case. And again, I'm not saying it it is the case. I just it's it's fair to wonder. It is. It it would be nice to get have the media have some time with Brian Ferentz on this subject, you know, not uh, and and have let let him speak for himself and and talk about these allegations uh, if if that's what he's going to do. It, it'd be nice to hear it from the horse's mouth, kind of what what because as far as I know, we haven't heard from him at all in in this whole situation, and probably because he was you know part of this investigation and and he was named in these allegations. Um, it, it would be nice to kind of get the media or get him in front of the media and let you guys ask him some of these questions and and, uh, comment on some of these things and uh, maybe talk about the way he's changed, the the things he's learned. you know, because I, I think that that is, I think, an important part of this. It's hard for me. I'm, I've been grappling with this for for months, and, and certainly in the last 24 hours, Rob. Just uh, how, how do I weigh the these last eight weeks? Which, by all accounts, and the, I, I just have to take their word for it. The, the players and the coaches, uh, things have changed. Things are getting better. They are improving. It, it's not as we said earlier. Not going to be an overnight thing, but things seem to be back on the right track or, or on the right track, maybe not back on the right track. Uh, and, and a big part of that is, is Kirk Ferentz acknowledging that he is truly changing the, the way he thinks, the way he sees these things, uh, his perspective, and he is trying to, to show genuine growth and, and genuine admission of guilt and and try to be a better person and understand these things better moving forward. I think I think that's room that we need to give people uh, where with where we are in society today. Now, there are lines that can't be crossed there or or if they are crossed can never become come back from but I, I do think it's important that we allow people to, to grow and to change and to learn um, that being said you know I, I would like to hear Brian Ferentz say how, how he has changed what he has learned how he has grown uh, and then you know of course time's just going to tell whether or not these are, are empty words and, and whether or not this is all because the spotlight's on them or if, if this is true, genuine growth and change from Kirk Ferentz and that, that program uh, and everybody within that program because that's that's what it's going to take. This, this is going to be a long-term thing and at some point this spotlight will move to another program or another issue or whatever the case may be uh, and, and it's going to be on Iowa and on Kirk Ferentz and on his supervisors and the people he supervises to make sure that these things actually actually do change I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal making across sports media and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You mentioned something in there, and I've, I've seen this that, that word thrown around a lot, the scapegoat. Um, 
Is Chris Doyle the scapegoat for this? I mean, he's he's the only head that's going to roll. Uh, he certainly seems like the the biggest actor, the the worst actor in this. He was the one named most often. Uh, he he kind of had that. It seems like his presence had this cloud over the entire program, uh, or at least that was felt by the players uh, of anxiety and, and all this stuff. Um, so I I certainly think he needed to go, and it seems like things have improved since he went. But is he being scapegoated because he's the only one? who went well i'm gonna first i uh a a friend of mine in the media and i both looked this up the other day the term scapegoat is somebody who's innocent and is blamed okay for something so that is not the right term right i think fall guy would probably be the better term to use here but i think people are looking at it the same way um i don't think anybody um, who's heard these allegations feels like Chris Doyle's innocent, uh, other than Chris Doyle, apparently, who in his <laughs> only public statement said he's never um, – my, you you may remember the wording better than I do, but basically denied any ra- racial bias or racism, racist uh, actions. Um, and Gary and Kirk really haven't acknowledged that Doyle has was guilty of that. Um, Gary was asked yesterday if anything in the report uh, maybe um, confirmed that, that those charges against Doyle, and Gary said yes and no, uh, which was kind of an evasive answer. Yeah. Um, I asked Kirk, um, you know, because Kirk came out yesterday and he called he he. he um, I don't remember the exact way he, he called him uh, at least a good coach. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he praised his, him as a coach and then f- added that he felt like he would do a good job in his, his, his next opportunity. Yeah, that came off weird to me. To me, a little tone deaf there from both of those guys. For sure. Um, and they really haven't acknowledged wrong, really wrongdoing. They're framing it as Chris Doyle couldn't continue to do his job based on the allegations. Meaning he couldn't get he couldn't go in that weight room and do his job, but nobody is actually from Iowa has come out and said that Chris Doyle deserved to be fired. It was more that he was removed because he couldn't stand up in front of a group of players anymore based on those allegations. So again, what was found in that personnel report that Hush Blackwell did regarding Chris Doyle? What were they able were they able to confirm any of these charges? Is Chris Doyle, you know, was he wrongly accused in all of these cases? What does that report show? Again, we won't see it. So it's hard to make a determination of whether he deserves to be the fall guy, uh, Andrew, but it certainly seems like this is being um, approached from Iowa's perspective that with Chris Doyle gone, everybody else on that coaching staff and in that athletic department can fix what's wrong with Iowa football. One of the things I saw yesterday, um, and, and, uh, 
admittedly, I saw this from Cyclone fans uh, here in Central Iowa. And, uh, of course, we all have our biases, and they, they have one here, uh, certainly. Um, but it was, you know, of, uh, to paraphrase, it was, of course, this didn't show anything super damning because Iowa paid for this report, and this law firm uh, is not going to be objective when they're being paid by Iowa. And my response to that is, who else was going to instigate an investigation like this? Iowa had to do it. I guess technically the Big Ten or the NCAA could have done it, uh, but it, it, like everything in life, there gonna, there's going to be some form of bias in everything. Uh, is there any reason that you can think of to believe that this was not an objective investigation or a thorough investigation? I won't go as far as saying that, Andrew, but I'll go back to say that it's not a transparent investigation mm. fully yeah. based on not being able to see what each individual coach who was charged with, you know, whether it be racial bias or racism or bullying or whatever the charges were, we don't know what this investigation found about each of those individuals. And don't don't get this twisted. Again, that was done by general counsel. Hmm. That's the way this report was going to go. And if you think about it, you know, we've had people say, hey, is Iowa going to get sued? Is the Robert T. Green, Akram Wadley group going to sue the university? Are other people going to sue, sue the university? Well, right now, there's no ammunition. There, there's not as much ammunition had we, you know, because the, the personnel reports aren't made, pub, made public. Again, maybe there is no ammunition in there, but we don't know whether there is or isn't, and that is not full transparency. We don't know, and it was done that way, I think, in case there there was ammunition in there. It doesn't, from a legal standpoint, they're protected because they're personnel files. Interesting. Yeah, this, you know, it's... It- it's it's weird. It's I'm in this weird spot because it's like the, uh, there is a part of me. It's like okay, this chapter is over, but it's certainly not completely over. And obviously now the important thing is is kind of moving forward uh, along those lines. Uh, you know, Gary Barta gave his vote of confidence um, to, to Kirk Ferentz, and really it seems like the overwhelming majority of players uh, have have given Kirk that vote of confidence. Now Kirk seems like a good man. I, I don't know him well. The interactions I've had with him, uh, he seems like a good guy, and, and everything I've heard about him for the most part, he seems like a good guy. I don't believe that he set up a culture of bullying and racism on purpose or with any malice, but that doesn't exonerate him. Uh, he was he was in charge of this for, for a long time, and as you said, bad things happened in this program that, that are going to be lifelong issues for some of these guys. You know, pain and, and hurt, um, anxiety and things that, that are just going to stick with a lot of people for a long time, and, and his hands are dirty in, in that. He, he may just be from a bygone era and and maybe it's time for a change to be made. I don't I don't know how I feel about that. I've I've gone back and forth on my personal thoughts on on whether or not Kirk Ferentz should be the leader of this program anymore. I I, I like him a lot as a guy and as a football coach, uh, but I've changed my opinion on on this program and on him quite a bit in the last eight weeks. And so as I said, I've gone back and forth quite a bit. I, I've I've basically settled on something that you said earlier. I'm going to take my cue from the current and former players and almost all of them uh, there's a, f- a couple of notable exceptions but almost all of them uh, at least what they're saying 
publicly is that they think he has earned a chance to lead this program into the future. That's what Gary Barta said yesterday, and it's what Kirk says he's up to the challenge of doing because it, it is ultimately going to fall on him. Um, so that's I'm kind with, of yeah, yeah. That that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah, I'm with you. It's you know. The, the best judges are the guys that are in that building and, and know what it would take for this to be an inclusive environment. And if I wrote in my column, I mean, that's the best out, possible outcome if, if Kirk can fix this. Yes. Because these players, I mean, think about the relationship that players have for years with their college head coaches and how they're, they want to revere them. They, they want to hold them in the highest esteem. If Kirk can do this, 21 years, going on 22 years of former players, hundreds of players, thousands of players want to view him that way. A guy who saw his mistakes, acknowledged them, and changed which is what we need not only in Iowa football, and I'm not, I don't want this to, to sound like I'm getting up on my soapbox and, and get criticized for our political beliefs again, but it's obvious in this country we need this kind of change. So it would be silly for us to think that college football wouldn't need change like this. And you look at it, Andrew, and there was that diversity task force report. For me... If I would have read that last year, it would have alarmed the crap out of me. Yeah. I would have been like, hold. I don't think it reached Kirk and Gary. I think it's fair for us to say the magnitude of what was charged, what was alleged in that report was not did not reach them for whatever reason. I'm not going to use the buzzwords, but um, they did not feel like that was a major issue. And Kirk has acknowledged that what what happened with George Floyd and the the kind of the the changes that we've seen and the, the the uprising that we've seen and the empowerment that we've seen in the country, which led to former players saying, hey, and I've said this on this podcast before, we were asking you to change. We, we had the diversity task force report. We had James Daniels meeting with Gary Barta. There, there was an opportunity last year to do this without it being in the public eye. You didn't do enough. You had guys that still felt last season they, like they were walking on eggshells. Kirk met with a group in August, failed to he, – he admitted to dropping the ball and not following up on that. They did not take it seriously enough. The players were empowered. They came out last month, put public pressure on them to change. Now, if your eyes aren't open to what needs to happen, if you're not um, welcoming and open to change and listening to how you can change, Kirk knows more than any of us will ever know, has more in his little pinky about football knowledge. But this is admitted for him is a blind spot, and he needs to see this clearly, the whole picture, not a little bit, not a little change, major change. Yeah, and and I think you're exactly right. You you 
you mentioned, you know, with just the change in kind of a lot of people over these last uh, few months in, in our society and, and kind of the, the opening of eyes that seems to be happening. And it may be late and it may be later than some of us hoped and it may come slower than a lot of us hope, but it certainly seems to be happening on some level. And I do think that Kirk Ferentz leading that change as a mid-60s white man here in Iowa uh, and displaying a true shift in his thinking and a true growth, a sincere uh, want to learn and understand and, and grow as a person and as a, as a human you know, in, in this society, I think that can be a powerful agent for change for many in our state and in college football and, and, and beyond. Uh, and so I do think he can play a really big role. And we talked about this, Rob, uh, maybe the first podcast we did after these reports started coming out. This could ultimately be, I think it will ultimately be, one way or the other, be a huge, huge part of his legacy, and it could be uh, a great part of his legacy. Now, again, nothing will ever change the fact that he oversaw a system that made black people feel like they were inferior to white people, and that's terrible, and nothing can change that. But what he does from here, and how he institutes that change, and then how he preaches that change, and changes the hearts and minds of of fans of the Hawkeyes, and players who come in, and all of this all of this stuff, it can really be a lasting legacy and something that that he can be very proud of and that, and that we all can be very proud of. But but now the the onus is on him and that program. And like I said earlier, the spotlight's going to come off of them at some point, uh, and and people will stop paying attention to this uh, on a daily basis. Once football starts, uh, once uh, we as a society have moved away from some of this racial tension, which will inevitably happen. Um, they're still going to have to be in that program, in those offices, having those meetings, having those conversations. He's still going to have to be open to, to hearing criticism from his players and his coaches and his supervisors. Uh, he's going to have to show, make real change, show real growth, and, and not revert back to the old familiar ways because it's going to be easy to do that. He's going to, it's going to be easy for him to revert back to letting coaches kind of run their own part of the ship and him not overseeing it the way he needs to. He, he, it will be easy to revert back to, well, you know, the the Iowa way uh, includes this thing, and yeah, a couple guys don't really like it, but it's it's the way we want to run our program. There's just he just is going to have to completely change the way he thinks, and that's not an easy thing to do. But if he's able to do it, I think it could be a uh, a really really positive part of of his lasting legacy. I would agree, and I, I wrote in my column for today that um, you know if he actually. Uh, can do this. And I have no reason to, to believe that he can't. Um, I, I'm, I'm one to give people the benefit of the doubt. Um, uh, I, you know, if the players feel like he can do this to me, it'll be the best accomplishment on his resume. And, and, you know, you can talk orange bowl victories. You can talk undefeated regular season, making it to the Rose bowl. If he can fix this culture at Iowa and make it more inclusive to where his players feel all of his players feel accepted for who they are. I, I think that should result in, in better on field results. I don't know why it wouldn't. Um, obviously, as I talked about earlier, there are going to be challenges in recruiting. Uh, this stuff is uh, out there on the internet and everywhere for people to read. Um, and when opposing coaches, who you're recruiting against go into other living rooms of these recruits, uh, St. Louis, Chicago, Kansas city, other areas that are much more diverse than Iowa. They're going to have questions to answer. 
And they're going to want to know why this happened and what you're doing to fix it. And you can't just say, hey, well, you know, we're letting guys wear hats and ear. You gotta, you're going to have to show significant foundational system changes to what you're doing. And it's going to be hard. This is, a, this is a really hard challenge for Kirk Ferentz. I, I don't know if it's harder than when he took over in 1999, but it's got to be up there just from, from my perspective, fortunately for him, the guys that he has on his roster are behind him and he's got a lot of talent on that roster, but now he's got to keep it going. And, uh, you know, I, I think people that care about Iowa football want that to happen and want him to be the guy to do that. But we don't know, like I said earlier and what I wrote, this is where we are on July the 31st, 2020. Let's see where we are in six months, a year, five years to where this program goes because it's in recovery mode and it's in rebuild mode if you're looking at it from an image standpoint. So I guess the last thing, Rob, is is how, how do we know? And, and I guess how do we hold them accountable? How do we know that these, these things are changing? Um, the Maybe the most disappointing thing in all of this, other than the fact that it you know happened, the overall disappointment that, that this existed within this football program, is the fact that it took players going public to make this change. They, they clearly weren't going to do... The uh, somebody tweeted at me yesterday, and it was like they when when they got the report last spring, uh, the diversity report, the in-house one, they started to treat some of the symptoms, uh, but they didn't go in and remove the cancer, and that's what needed to happen now, and, and what hopefully has happened at this point. Um, how do how do we hold them accountable? How do we keep their feet to the fire? How do we know in six months or a year or two years, uh, short of a bunch of players having to come out publicly and and say this stuff again? Uh, I guess how, how do we how do we know that that these things are are happening? I think uh, uh, the 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 biggest resource here, um, a couple of them. I think Broderick Bins being able away from the football building and in the athletic department. Um, uh, the keys here, he's kind of the, at the top of this, but I think there needs to be, um, more positions in place where there are advocates for football players. Mm. There needs to be, we talked about transparency of the report. There needs to be more transparency and oversight of that football facility in that building. It became... Players talked about being isolated. That can't be the case. There have to, there has to be somebody in that football building, maybe multiple somebodies that have the ability to hear from players, meet with players. Are you having problems? Being able to take that to bins and and addressing these things and not letting them fester and linger. You have, you know, one of the things that. It was mentioned in the diversity task force report, but was also confirmed in the Hush Blackwell report. Iowa was selling an image of family on the recruiting trail that was not apparent when these players showed up to campus. You can't have that disconnect because you're already putting these young 18, 19 year old kids off on the wrong foot. And oftentimes it seems like with the, you know, with the attrition and the graduation rates, they never recovered from that. You have to do in recruiting 
getting to know the players better, giving them a clear and accurate picture of what Iowa football is. It's demanding. It's hard work. We're going to bust your butts, but we're going to be fair and we're going to be inclusive. If that's the environment you have, sell that environment. And then when they get there, nurture them mentor them. They're 18, 19 year old kids away from home for the first time. Give them the best chance they have to succeed. That's not what was happening when, when these players went through the recruiting process and got here. And that's awful. That's what, to me, that's the foundation of building the program and building stability. Um, you can say that there's stability in the coaching staff, but there was not stability in the roster. Far from it. So to be the best you can be, you have to have stability in the roster. There are going to be players unhappy. They're going to leave because of playing time. They're not going to fit in. Some guys are not going to fit in. You, you can't hit a home run every time. It's not going to be 100%. But there were way too many transfers. The, the graduation rate was inexcusable. Those things can change, and mm. I think it's change is, it changes on the front end. You let guys know that you care for them on day one, and then they know when you're pushing them, you're doing it. You know, when you're, you're pushing them on the field, you're pushing them in workouts, they know it's coming from love. They know it's coming from caring. It's not coming from intimidation. Those, to me, are some of the major changes that need to happen, and I think this former player advisory board, to me, is one of the most important changes that have been made to have guys that have been through that program. There's 11 of them now that, and, and give an open door to players on the current roster to be able to reach out to players, not just have Kirk meet with those guys, but let the players in the building know that they can go to that advisory board if they have problems. And the players on that advisory board can then relay to Kirk that, hey, this, you know, something's getting away from us here. We need to address this. I think there, th there are things in place, Andrew, but they have to be utilized. And I think they can put more safeguards in place that this doesn't happen again well rob as we kind of close this uh close out this this initial chapter of, of this story um I, I i look to the rest of it uh I, i'm hopeful and i'm excited for all the reasons you just said uh for for the fact that uh, players can come into iowa and, and be nurtured and improve not just as football players but as people and and have their lives improved uh be you know make lifelong relationships that that they're proud of forever um and and then I think all of that translates to a better on-field product, which uh, at this point isn't the most important thing, but certainly will become important again to all of us as soon as football is played again. So, um, and and you know, one more time, I want to commend you on your reporting through all this. I know it hasn't been easy; it certainly hasn't been fun, uh, and and you've gotten a lot of uh, flack for it. Uh, I think a lot of uh, unnecessary and, and frankly ridiculous hate. Um, I, I've been embarrassed uh, several times through this uh, to be a part of this fan base and then see how people are treating you and and other members of the media as well who are just kind of doing your jobs and uh, and reporting on things that needed needed to be reported. Uh, so I, I commend you on that, uh, and and I. Think Thank you for for you know walking me through these last couple of months as we've been doing these podcasts as well. Uh, we certainly aren't done talking about this, and and we certainly aren't going to uh, as we said this is going to be a long long term thing. It's something we're going to talk about for a long time. But this does kind of close out this initial chapter, uh, and, uh, and and I, I'm I'm happy about that, and I am I'm I'm optimistic going forward that that Iowa football can be the place that we all hope it it it, it, it we we all maybe thought it was and and hope it can actually be. 
I agree, Andrew, and I appreciate that um, support that you guys have given me uh, and the support at Hawkeye Nation. I appreciate that as well. Um, you know, I think, as I've said earlier, I think people that are looking at this ob- as objectively as possible from a fan standpoint understand that these changes needed to happen and that, you know, they're, they're, they should feel bad about how some of these guys were treated and maybe some, you know, scars they're still dealing with moving forward. And let's just hope that that doesn't happen to anybody else moving forward. I, I hope that stories that I write, podcasts that I do, and, and to plug another podcast from this week, if people haven't listened to it yet, former Iowa offensive lineman Adam, Adam and NFL offensive lineman Adam Geddes gave some really great feedback, not only about his time at Iowa, but just kind of that the nuance to what has happened in the last couple months that, you know, there are, there are a lot of really good things about Iowa football that should remain, but that changes need to happen for it to be the best that it can be. And I think that's important. I, I think it's a vocal minority of people that don't get it, that don't understand what needed to change and what needed to happen and are looking to place the blame elsewhere. And I think that's human nature, and I think that's probably you know the case in, in most walks of life. But I think ultimately moving forward – I have optimism as you do, Andrew, and I hope that I'm writing stories down the road that applaud the changes that are happening in this program, that this becomes an inclusive program, that it's successful on and off the field, and it sends these young men into the world best equipped to handle a really, as we've seen this year, a really (laughs) difficult uh, real life, so to speak, when yeah. you get out in the real world out of college, like we all, we're all, you know, have been a part of now, some of us more than others for many years. But, um, you know, that, that this is the best, that this program does everything it can to produce the best people that it can to put out into, into society that have the best experience to look back on at Iowa. That's what we all hope happens here. Um, this hasn't been a, a fun couple months, as we've talked about, the, the, a lot of work left to be done. But I think we're all optimistic and hopeful that that work will get done. All right, Rob, you and I will reconvene on Monday. We will uh, likely have some some news, some information on Luca Garza, at least uh, his initial decision. I guess uh, I wasn't aware that he has a couple more weeks to make the NBA decision, uh, but he does need to make a college decision by Monday. So we, we will talk about that. Uh, you've written a lot of good stuff about the upcoming football season. Fingers crossed. Uh, <laughs> and then so we'll we'll have some fun with that stuff as well on Monday and uh, and good to kind of put this, this issue to bed, at least for now. Uh, thank you for making the time to Today, my friend. Yeah, definitely. I trust me when I tell you that I'm really looking forward to that next podcast where we talk about football and Luca Garza. Well, I will talk to you on Monday, man. <laughs> Sounds good, brother. All right, thank you. Go Hawks. Thanks for listening. <laughs>